Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Triple Jump podcast. It's a video game podcast. My name is Ben. And my name is Peter. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ben. Hello, Ben. How are you? I am in pain. I'm in pain. My mouth hurts. My cheek hurts. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a very helpful ulcer. A helpful ulcer. Very helpful ulcer, oh. and it is making it... Uh, Uncomfortable to talk and eat and drink, which is great. Really helpful. Oh, oh no. And it's a perfect time for today when we've got a podcast to record and then also a stream. Yeah, and then we're doing our extracurricular podcast tonight as well, aren't we? We're recording we that. Are. Yes, yeah. we're doing it all at once. There's never a good time no. for an ulcer and it never comes in a good place either. I suppose that's the whole point, isn't it? Is that it... It, it appears. I suppose you wouldn't notice it imaginable. if it appeared in a good place. If it appeared in a place that there was zero friction or mm. or touch, then you wouldn't even know you had it. Yeah, I suppose not. Which would be nice. I suppose not. And yet, here we are. Mm. It's video game time. It's time to talk about those video games. We are sponsored each and every week by a premium, very real video game sponsor. Peter has that written down in front of him. Absolutely. Um, there's a brand new. It, it's another game one. Ben. It's not often oh. that we have. Sometimes it's uh, sorry. Usually it's video game related, but it's not always an actual video game. But this week we've got yet another upcoming title sponsoring us, which is very exciting. Wow! Um, not only that, it's it's a huge collab between Ubisoft, one of our mm. favorite companies, and mm. Capcom. Wow! Um, so Ubisoft, of course, um, are known in part for Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and that other pirate game, what they did, which used the same technology, but uh, uh, you know, what's what's it called? Um, Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones. Yeah, which is yeah. it's not out yet, but it's you know they it's keep vanished. showing bits and bobs of it, and yeah, it, it has sort of vanished. But you know, they like they like their pirate uh, their pirate tech and their mm. their ship sailing and things like Valhalla and so on. Um, Capcom, of course, famous for. Uh, scary zombie games and other things too. Did you know that they are working together now on a very exciting sequel to the very popular Resident Evil game 
uh, series, sorry, Resident Evil series. Coming soon, the 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 survival horror zombie game where you play as a pirate and go and do pirate things. Resident Evil Pillage. Wow. I can't wait. See, I've heard of this for a little while because it was under a code name for a bit, wasn't it? You know, like some games are. Mm-hmm. I think internally they called it Bite Tannic. That's right? it. Yeah, yeah. And that um, was the that was the working title. That's hugely exciting. How tall is the antagonist? First question. Uh, three foot two. Oh, that's not as exciting as I'd hoped. No, it's a shame, really. But I believe there is a a, a giant like kraken. Um, so if you're into okay. tentacles, at least there's something to 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 yum your yum. Does but, it have a hat? Um, I I don't know. Uh, okay. I've not actually seen footage. They wouldn't let. They, we said like, hey, if you're going to sponsor our podcast, can we like, can you just give us a bit of information on the game? They said no. Again, the standard press release. Yeah, it's just it's a pirate resi game. Go. Wow, I wonder how that would work. Do you do you drive the boat, or are you just up for shenanigans aboard the boat? I think you walk around dragging a ship behind you, and whenever mm-hmm. you pick stuff up, you then enter a inventory management Tetris game where you have to organize all of your stuff, but inside the hold of a ship. Wow. Um, is it a mobile game, or is it a full console release? Full console is PS5 and Xbox Series X and S, and uh, it's really, really cutting edge. They've put £6 billion into this. Not dollars, pounds. Pounds, huh? Okay. Um, it's going to be one of the, the biggest, most exciting games ever made. It all says it here in the press release. Oh, that's what it says, okay. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't lie, would they? No, they wouldn't. But do you know who would? Who? Hey. Me, because it's not true. Oh, you flipping bugger. Got you. I why got you there. You, why would you do that to me on this Thursday? Huh? On this, the podcast where we lie once a week. I can't believe you. Mm. I'm well, hurt. Well, deal with it. Is, are you sure that's not just your ulcer? It could be that. Yeah, well, I, yes. Yes, I suppose it might be, actually. Mm. But I'm also hurt because I've been lied to. I tell you who won't lie to you. Yeah. The wonderful people over at patreon.com forward slash team triple jump, oh. where for as little as $1 per month, you can support us financially and get access to the question post for this podcast and submit questions. Thank you to everyone who supports us there and submits questions. Obviously, we can't do every single question every time, so we do encourage you to keep submitting every week. Please do. We'll we'll get to you, promise. Mm. Um, and, oh, we need to decide where we're walking today. That's the thing we're doing this week because we're not on camera again. That's right. Um, perhaps this week we are walking through... The uh, air. The air. It's the Christmas episode, everyone. Welcome. Yay. We're here in February. Yeah. It's February. Goodness it's February. me, it is, isn't it? We're already a twelfth of the way through the year. That's disgusting. Mm. I hate that. Yeah. But speaking of patrons who've supported us, the first question comes from one such person. It's Ernie Arrowsmith, our resident Arrowsmith, who says, Congratulations on almost two years of this excellent podcasts. Plural is what he's meant. It's probably a typo. (laughs) Uh, As it's episode 101, I wondered what games or gaming-related things you would put in room 101. Very good question there, Ernie. Very topical. Um, Keep up the great work. And it says in brackets, I realise this is essentially the premise of cut content, but I don't think either of you have done one. 
Um, that's true. It is good no. content, but hey, that's you know, I think we were we would have uh, done one eventually anyway if uh, that series was still running. But hey, COVID yes. and stuff. So COVID and such. Mm. So how are we doing this then? I've got a thing mm-hmm. that that is a pet peeve. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I and went it's... with pet peeve rather than like picking on a specific game and saying, "Hey, room one hundred and one with you." <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't... Um, like, this is a really minor thing. It's a very nitpicky thing. I nearly... I, I could think of loads of, like, r- quite specific nitpicky things and thought, no, I can't I can't just go and talk about that. So I did try to pick the, the, the broadest thing I could, but even then it's a bit... It's a bit, like, funny for it to be my 101 thing. I guess partly some of the things that I agree should be in Room 101 have already been done on cut content by our guests. So mm. that, that limits the pool a little bit. But uh, do you want to go first, then? Okay. What I've got that I would put in Room 101 mm. is games that use their own in-game proprietary keyboard instead of the system one. Oh, my God. Wow. In. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I'm doing it. So I think, I believe EA Sports Games tends to be very guilty of this. Mm-hmm. They give you an in-game keyboard rather than, you know, just popping up with the, the PlayStation or Xbox keyboard and just letting you use the keyboard that you're used to. You then have to mess around with a keyboard that, that that's sluggish and the the sort of button prompts are usually different yeah. From what the system one is. So on PlayStation, it's square to go back. It's triangle to uh, to do a space. R2 to like change the, the cap, the mm-hmm. caps of your of your letters and so on. And you'll find yourself doing this stuff and it'll it'll just be it'll be all wrong. Like you'll you'll end up putting in a weird combination. We get it a lot on worst games ever, I think, yeah. as well. We've seen some really terrible in-game keyboards you tend not to get it as much anymore but it does still happen and i just wish that they would just let you use the the proper keyboard and i'm glad that there's sort of a unifying mostly there's a unifying keyboard across most games now but back in the wild west days of the playstation 2 and even the playstation 3 as well they just invent their own weird keyboards that you had to use in game and i and i hate them I hate them so much. Well, that makes me think now of um, keyboards or not like uh, when you're typing something in, particularly in like worst games ever sorts of games um, where instead of having a keyboard, you have to scroll up and down through an alphabet Mm -hmm. um, like per character. And then maybe like when you're done with typing out what you wanted to type, you might like mash you might press the x button thinking that like that will submit it but it'll just place down the letter that you're doing or you don't press the x button you you you, like cycle to um it might have an option to say end on the cycle thing that you're doing but sometimes that like can overwrite the last letter and oh it's always yeah it's just the inconsistency of these things like you Mm -hmm. you're doing things based on a previous game that had a similar mechanic and then you're like oh oh no that's not how you do it here okay Sure, you have to press start to submit or whatever, you know? Yeah, uh, or you accidentally submit something that you're not intending to because yeah. your, your muscle memory kicks in and exactly. you press all the wrong buttons. Mm. Yeah, yeah. In the bin. In the bin, get in there, into the cut content room 101 bin. 
I have got something here that I'm 99% sure we haven't done on cut content, but suddenly I'm questioning it in, in this, the last three seconds before I say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like silent protagonists. Um, okay. And I mean like truly silent protagonists. So, for example, in something like Dishonored, although you never really said anything. I think early in the game, you actually did say a couple of things and then you suddenly went silent. But maybe that's... I might be thinking of a different game. In any case, for most of the game, you your Corvo doesn't use his voice. However, you do have the occasional bit of like dialogue options where you go to the guy, the boatman, you know, like who takes you to levels and, and then it acts as the exit point. Like you go there and he'll say like, are you ready to go? And then you can say, yes, I'm ready, or no, I'm not. So although Corvo isn't really voiced throughout that game, he, it, like in-universe, he's not like a truly silent man um, entirely. However, there are, of course, many games where you have a character who is completely mute and you like cutscenes will play out where they are just staring at people who are, who are monologuing at them in a very... Mm expositiony way um because that's just what they have to do if they're not getting anything back so i think i've talked before about dragon's dogma the uh the rpg um like sort of fantasy hack and slash sort of thing uh i really liked that game except for the fact that you had this silent protagonist who was also someone that you could create in a in a, a a character creator so they just seemed like the most placeholder nothing character, like a combination of this thing that you'd made yourself that maybe if you'd not got it quite right, maybe looked a little bit uncanny. And then it had no voice either. And people would just say say stuff to you in cutscenes and you would just stare back at them. I'm trying to remember if there was a, a law reason why they couldn't speak, because I know that game starts with you having your heart taken by a dragon So you're sort of this, you know, I don't know if you count as undead or not, but anyway, you've lost your heart. So maybe that also means that you can't speak anymore. But really, it just felt like whether they gave a reason or not, it was it was weird to play as that person. And Mm. I just could not connect with them as a hero. And I think that was really the only reason I didn't finish that game is because I couldn't I just couldn't stick with the hero. Whereas if if they'd been, a uh, you know, a character with a voice that would have probably been one of my favorite games of the era um gta 3 as well that game i think is not remembered as fondly as some of the other 3d gta games and you know i know vice city was great and san andreas was great but gta 3 was actually also a really good game and a really fun world and story i loved gta 3 but I do wonder if part of it, uh, part of the reason why it's not remembered as fondly is because Claude Speed doesn't say a word and people don't even know his name because no one even calls him Claude in the entire game, I don't think. So, you know, it just, it takes away some of the identity of the character. And I know maybe some people would say, oh, it's so it can be more immersive and you can feel like it's you there and you can you can almost have the dialogue in your head of what you would say rather than someone who isn't you talking and saying things you wouldn't do and using a voice that you don't have. But to me, I'd honestly rather, you know, just play as someone who is not Peter Austin, but at least has a voice than mm-hmm. uh, this silent person I'm supposed to be imprinting on or, or you know, having the, the POV of. 
So yeah. there you go. That's that's mine. Wow, that really turned into quite a diatribe there. Of I hate mute protagonists, but <laughs> I guess what I about do. Uh, Fallout games pre Fallout Four, where you, where they're not voiced, but you still do. So I suppose is your is your issue not so much that there's no voice acting it's mm. more a case of your character doesn't say anything at all like is it because there are some games where it's implied that you speak like persona for example which i'm playing through again at the moment yeah um your character does have little quips every now and then that they say out loud and you do pick occasional responses but you're sort of addressed as though you are talking even though you're not really talking yeah no that that's exactly it like so you know again dishonored i know that, like occasionally there'll be like things that happen that it, it implies that you are somewhat engaged in a, a dialogue with someone or a conversation, but it's it's so it's not people who aren't voice acted. It's it's um, characters that either explicitly are described or you know shown to not have a voice for maybe even an in-universe reason, or arguably worse, ones who aren't sort of given a reason or explanation as to why they're not talking, but they are just standing there in cutscenes for mm-hmm. an entire game. They're not you they're not selecting any dialogue boxes at any point, whether it's in or out of cutscenes, you know. Um yeah, it's stuff stuff like that. And it, of course there are little exceptions like, you know, Crash Bandicoot doesn't say a word throughout the game. Well he says whoa, but he doesn't speak, uh apart from saying uh oh right at the at the start of the first game mm-hmm. but he's like a cartoony bandicoot man so i don't care but uh you know broadly speaking if you've got a protagonist who doesn't speak throughout the entire game um and it isn't implied to be speaking either then yeah that's that's my issue fair enough get it in the bin yeah get it in there bin it get wow. out of here did it it's time to talk about a new section brand new to this episode it's Mm -hmm. the you know we're starting a new century of podcasts and i've looked it up by the way it'll be two years on the 16th of february oh okay this podcast so we'll have another celebratory i don't see why we should just stop celebrating really yeah any excuse right Mm -hmm. here's a little secret for you peter yeah i've still got my christmas tree up oh my god really i don't even care anymore it doesn't matter that's bad luck you know is it yeah. Oh God, that could be why I'm in significant distress today. Oh, it could be. You're supposed to take it down by like the sixth of January, and it's the fourth of February at the time of recording. I just stopped giving a flip now. Oh no. You know, uh, to be fair, February did sneak up on me. It was only when yeah. I looked at it properly I thought, oh, that's still there. But part of me thought it makes me happy to have that yeah, there, of and I've got nothing else going on. So it's going to be weird to get rid of it now. That's just a permanent fixture until this lockdown ends. I think. We've got a uh, just a sort of dead on its side Christmas tree in our garden at the moment, our back garden. Nice. Because, That's a classic fixture, I think, for a lot of people. Well, especially at the moment, like ordinarily, you know, in fact, some councils, I don't know how we've gotten to this conversation, but some councils will like do a collection. They'll say like, if you've got a Christmas tree, like in the first two weeks of January or whatever, we'll come around and collect them all. Some don't. But on the mm. other, you know, if not, then you can take it to the tip or something. But at the moment, we didn't think that like it would be a very clever thing to do just to take a Christmas tree to the tip when it's not a vital journey. So it's just dead in our garden at the moment. Um, nice. Yeah. Don't do what my dad did once and set it on fire. Right. Because they burn scarily fast. They're very and, smoky, I and think. very violent. It really yeah. does go up. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it burnt our our clothesline in the garden oh, no. when i was young yeah 
just melted right through it. Lovely. Merry Christmas, everyone. Enjoy that. Anyway, it's time for What We Play In. Oh, okay. It's What We Play In time. It's time to talk about the games, what we've been playing. Peter, what you've been playing? I did the thing that I said I wouldn't do uh, last week, which is that I ended up carrying on with Resident Evil 4 to the end. Oh, um, okay. Well done. Because So I, I I said I wanted to just play a little bit of that last week because I, I kind of got a bit of a haunted European village filled with zombies itch that I needed to scratch um, mm-hmm. from, from playing the Resi Village, which is legally different to Resi Pillage, by the way, yeah. uh, the Resi Village demo. Um, so I was just going to play like a little bit of that you know, maybe just do some like mercenaries missions or whatever, not get too too like committed to playing the full thing. And then it's just such a good game. I couldn't stop. I, I wanted to not get embroiled in it so that I could carry on with Horizon. And mm-hmm. I'm also actually I'm quite keen. I've, I've always been keen to play Knights of the Old Republic as well. And although there's been a recent story saying that there could be an actual sequel for that in development, which... I'm actually I'm taking that with a pinch of salt because they report that pretty much every year and I guess there's a bit more credence to it this year given that there's been this like new you know like the rebranding of of uh, the Star Wars games and da 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 all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's all by the by but yeah I want to play KOTOR sometime soon I've still never played it. Um so th- there's all these games I want to play and I was like I'm not going to play too much Resi 4 just play a bit and then hey here I am uh i I just finished it like two days ago and it's just so good i really like it good i'm glad it's nice to slip into an old game every now and then it is that's important to you yeah it is up there with it i think it's one of it's certainly one of my favorite games uh, of all time and i would even argue it's one of the best games ever made you know there aren't many games that i would die on a hill and say no this is objectively a very good game there's loads that i would say uh, you know it's my favorite but i know that they're not the best but i do think that is one of those genuinely top quality games um yeah and i think the reviews don't lie as well i think a lot of people would would be inclined to agree um so mostly been playing that um i uh what else um I did. Oh, and, and that's it. We played a little bit of Jackbox again, me and my friends. We just can't oh, help nice. it. We can't stop. Um, we can't s- stop jacking in that box. We can can't we? stop doing a big circle Jackbox all together. No. Um, we actually, I heard about um, a, um, like a, a browser. It's almost like a browser version of that where it's got video call all packaged together. I can't even remember the the name of the site now, but we're going to give that a go. And maybe, although it's very much an online game, I might have that to talk about in what we play in next week, which is, so it's, it's Jackbox style games where you, you know, you do all that kind of submitting your own answers or doing little drawings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just on a website somewhere that I can't remember the name of right now. And uh, has video call, like all, all packaged into to one, just onto this, browser page so uh you know it kind of seems like quite a simple way to just very easily hop onto something and play some games so uh if it's yeah. good i'll mention it next week if it's not i won't so there we go i do always like those there's usually some kind of workaround for a lot of popular games i remember when i worked at the nhs um i think it was close to christmas and we got we get obviously a lot the volume of calls we got in it 
was mm. down massively because there were just fewer people working. Right. And we reached a point where I think we managed to find a web browser version of a sort of ripoff of Cards Against Humanity. Oh, where you yeah. you could all join a sort of chat room and play it together. We got told off and we had to stop because is, no fun allowed. But it's a similar thing, right? That's exactly, that's one of the games that is is featured on this site from what I've oh. seen. I've not played it. I've not even looked at this thing yet but i saw i saw someone else playing on a on a video on youtube and i was like oh that looks fun and there was like a rip off cards against humanity it was like yeah the cards are different but it's literally they're like black and white cards it's the same with thing, yeah. big underscores like big you know gaps to fill in words or whatever so yeah it might even literally be the one that you played uh mm, it years might ago might not be but uh yeah so it's that sort of thing but there's various i think different games to play that some of them are like jackbox stuff but um yeah, well, you'll so have to report back. I will if it if it's decent. I'll I'll share it with the world so that everyone else can do the same. Yes, and then get that site shut down for yeah, uh, yeah, definitely for infringing on copyright. Yeah, perfect. Uh, what have you been playing, Ben? I have played a little tiny weeny teeny weeny bit of Warzone, uh, mm-hmm. a little little smidgens of zombies. In fact, there's a new zombies map out this week. I think I think it's out this weekend, oh. which is quite exciting because I jumped into. Black Ops Cold War Zombies obviously quite late, just after Christmas. Mm. And that's the only map they've had since launch. So I haven't had to wait that long for a new map. I already feel like I know the the current map, like the back of my hand. Especially so, after that session where you just got stuck in it forever. Yeah, played like a three-hour game where it just wouldn't end because uh, we couldn't <laughs> exfil. But yeah, uh, so looking forward to giving that a go. I've just realized that's out, so I'll probably play that before the next episode. Um, I finished off Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I did it. Yes, you did. Have we not been I, on the podcast no, since then? No. No, I was I was sort of I looked at the cards on my PS five last last week when we talked and said that it said that, that we were about eighty percent of the way. Oh that's through, right, yeah, yeah. Which as it turns out was bollocks. It's not true. It wasn't okay. true at all. Because I checked again when I was at the end and it said you're eighty percent of the way like what is that? What are you tracking? I don't understand. Oh, so it's still saying <laughs> I don't that. I understand. Yeah, of Avor's journey, eighty percent. Okay, mm. well that's clearly not correct, is it? Um, so that was just wrong. It went on and on and on, and it like it just wouldn't end. Yeah. Um, I will say, on reflection, as I said last week, and as I said on Twitter, like I enjoyed this game a lot more than I was expecting. I love the setting. I really like the world. I like a lot of the stuff that they did with the game. It was. It is so clearly inspired by The Witcher Three, which is a fantastic game to mm. be inspired by. And I hope that their next setting is more of this, and and I, I really did like it. I I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that I had to. I felt like I had to Google, maybe th- on three occasions, either what I had to do next, what I was missing, or what the actual ending of the game. Like, what was I? What do I have to do to get the credits to roll? And yeah. the the consensus from from a Reddit thread was there are three three ways to finish the game Eivor's main goal is to pacify England by Mm -hmm. uh, you know doing all the partnerships and the the pledges and so on then there's the killing all of the order members to get rid of the Templars and then there was something else I think finding all the something or others I can't remember but basically all I read in that situation was the main goal is to pacify England so I did that and then it started a quest and it really 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 lent into the modern day stuff and I needed I felt like an advanced degree in modern day Assassin's Creed history. 
yeah. in order to understand what was going on. And I looked up a little video after the fact to explain it. And it was sort of like, this guy is this guy and they're reincarnated. And it's like, I just, I could not follow it. Jesus. Credit where it's due to them for crafting a world that's that intricate across several games. But as someone who has been away from the series for probably the better part of a decade, it was just indecipherable. Yeah. And I did it meant nothing to me at all and pulled me right out of the Viking experience that I was enjoying. Um so I did finish it. It took me forty six hours, which according to Twitter when I posted that is really fast because I did just run through the main story. On the whole, very much enjoyed it. Um it's way too big though. There's way too much in it. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that game could have been far shorter and, and have far less stuff in it. It's obviously Still under a lot of fire for its bugs, which I didn't experience beyond the the mouth sync just not working for a lot of characters a lot of yeah. the time. It just, their mouths just didn't move. Um, but on reflection, that's likely because I was playing on PS5. I, I actually bumped into Tom Campbell when I was out for a walk, and he was saying his partner was having all sorts of issues with it like constantly, but she's oh, playing no. it on PS4. So right. uh, that's not good. Hopefully that that's fixed for people because there's an awful lot of microtransactions and stuff in there and, and, and apparently people are accusing Ubisoft of focusing on that over yeah. the bugs. But uh, I was impressed by Assassin's Creed Valhalla and I did enjoy it and I'm, I'm glad I managed to see it through to something of a conclusion <laughs> by yeah. their standards anyway. It is a shame that, that that has affected it for a lot of people, just the, the bugs and stuff. Um I, as well, like I, I agree so much about the, um, the modern day stuff. Like we've talked about this before. I think sort of in the first podcast after I started it, and I was just saying, "Hey, look, it's a good game, but Jesus, I, I'm not interested in any of this." Or actually, I think it was after you'd started it, you brought up the fact that suddenly you're in, like, you know, North America somewhere, and I don't know. Uh, but I, I really think that they would lose nothing and potentially gain slightly more satisfaction from people like you and me. If in future games, they just gave you a prompt at the beginning, like, would you like to also include the the Animus story in your campaign, yes or no? And you just mm. choose whether or not. And there's like two slightly different campaigns. One where it just doesn't kick you out and make you wander around and do stuff in the modern day. And another... Uh, where yeah, if you like, if you want to do that stuff, it should let you do it. If you don't, you know, like there's a reason that when they market these games, they only show the Viking stuff or they only show the Egyptian stuff. They don't like cut in. Well, maybe they do, but I don't remember ever seeing a trailer for an Assassin's Creed game where they like you know show most of like the history stuff and then they'll like cut in a little bit where they'll sort of try and tease you with oh and find out what's happening with Team Animus. Oh look, here's some drama from a cutscene where it's they're Sean. going. You remember Sean from, t- exactly. from 2010? You remember yeah. Sean? Mm. Um, so yeah, I I really think they should give you the option in Assassin's Creed games to just completely remove that entire arc because uh, <laughs> I would definitely say yes to that if it allowed me. I have a sneaking suspicion that they've been. They've been focusing on on the modern day stuff so hard, so much so that, as I said, it's indecipherable to new players that I wouldn't be surprised if there's not either a large scale DLC, a large scale expansion or an an entire game 
in its own right yeah. that just focuses on the modern day stuff where you're a modern day assassin. And mm-hmm. I honestly feel that's what they're building to and have been for some time until they realized, huh, hopping around between different time periods is actually really lucrative. Let's stay doing that. Yeah, um, they probably were working that from the beginning, like from the first game, they probably were thinking, hey, so what happens is he like learns about his history and then, mm-hmm. you know, in game number four, he puts all that into practice or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I found it really interesting. You know, in Assassin's Creed 2, I was super interested and invested in Miles's story because it was this mystery, you know, holy grail, dawn of mankind, the people that came before. Like, you'd get little snapshots, wouldn't you, as you collected things Yeah. of, like, this cutscene, and it's meant to be Adam and Eve or something, and, like, in this futuristic society that's long since, you know, died off. Mm. And I thought it was really fascinating. But we're over a decade later now, and I'm I'm so over it. Like I yeah. don't I don't need it anymore. Um, they could have they could have concluded this and just done a done historical games. Anyway, that's it. It makes up a tiny fraction mm, of Assassin's yeah. Creed Valhalla, yeah. mainly just because the game is, is so bloody massive. But uh, I did enjoy it, and uh, and and I'm I'm glad I saw it through to the end because I, I felt a sense of pride and accomplishment. You know, yeah, real sense of pride and accomplishment. Beyond that. I really was rushing to finish it last weekend because I desperately wanted to start Persona 5 Royal, mm-hmm. which uh, I played Persona 5 when it first came out back in 2017, I want to say, and I loved it as a, as a huge fan of Persona 4 Golden, and I played Persona 3 as well. Um, but I haven't played it since. And Persona 5 Royal, for those who aren't familiar, isn't isn't Persona 5 Game of the Year edition. It's basically exactly the same thing they did with Persona 4, and then to Persona 4 Golden, where they, they took an excellent game and just put it back in the oven for another, like, two years. Yeah. And then brought it out and just said, here we go, it's even better now. There's loads of new stuff. We've tweaked all sorts of mechanics. Um, there's new dialogue, new characters, new seasons, new confidants. There's, uh, you know, changes to how the palaces are, are done in that you have, like, a grappling hook now. There's all sorts of of tweaks and additions, so it is it is the definitive version of Persona 5. The main reason I'm trying to run through it is because Persona 5 Strikers is out next week. Striker. Yeah. And uh, I really want to play that. I don't think I'm going to finish this in time, but I am doing my very best, and, and I'm loving it. It's a brilliant game. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that there's, like, loads more stuff. I knew that there was, like, more stuff in it, obviously, but I didn't really know to what extent they'd like added more stuff into it so uh mm. lots of quality of life tweaks and stuff yeah so it's very good very very good to uh to to look at especially i guess if you missed the game the first time round as well mm. then uh yeah now's the time i missed it on sale as well over christmas so i ended up having to pay full price for it which was really annoying because i right. did i was eyeing up over christmas and i thought no you got loads to play and then here we are and and then I had to shell out the full price, so I feel like a bit of a a bit of a nincompoop, really, mm-hmm. for not hopping on it when I saw it reduced. But never mind, that's life, isn't it? It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's life. Let's move on to another question. Let's. This comes from John Oliver, whose television show I'm a big fan of. I know the John Oliver. Yeah, actual John Oliver. GTA Five is a game that truly got me interested in video games. Not just looking forward to playing it, but the development process and endless hours spent on the rumor mill in anticipation of its release. 
I was wondering what game really drove your passion for the video game industry, a title that you couldn't help but keep up to date with from start to finish of production. Thanks, lads, and keep up the good work. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Well, John, my answer to you, my answer to you would be, how how dare you assume that those two things are are the same thing? To me, I would I would argue that they're probably mutually exclusive, or, or not mutually exclusive, but that uh, you know my passion for the video games industry was not initially driven by um, sort of following a particular game from start to finish, and you know the rumor mill and and all that kind of stuff. I think. Uh, so I almost have like two different answers for those two parts of of John's question. I think uh, like going back to how I I like developed a passion for the industry. I would say for me, like originally my my main interest was um, looking at like the more like obscure underappreciated uh or maybe just like forgotten games that were popular at the time but now I've just like people don't like you mention a game to someone and they go oh my god I've not thought about that game for 15 years or whatever mm-hmm. um so certainly like my my video game career in terms of youtube and like online content started with just wanting to play or talk about um I don't know stuff like uh, there was a game I I played on PS One called Death Trap Dungeon, which a lot of people will never have heard of. Some people maybe have heard of it, but didn't know there was a game of it because it was based on a, a book by Ian Livingstone, like a, a choose your own adventure book. Some people maybe did play the game, but had completely forgotten about it. It was really good. It was like a hack and slash uh, adventure game. PS One. I mean, it, it's not stood up. It doesn't stand up that well today. It's got like tank controls and it's awkward and weird and rubbish but it's also kind of great um but you know just stuff like that like i i did that i did a review for the the phantom menace ps1 game which i guess was probably more popular and sold a lot more than something like death trap dungeon but uh was probably still could be uh, called a forgotten game perhaps i think a lot of people um you know it's not the the game that you think of when you think of playstation classics um so yeah that that's that's where my interest in the industry came from originally it was like all these like hidden gems or like little lost relics and kind of talking about all that led me to doing stuff on youtube which then uh led me into the probably the wider world of like video game coverage and so almost as a result of doing that kind of stuff i then found myself talking about more like you know modern day stuff and keeping up with development of new games and things like that so you know that that's kind of how I got a passion for modern day video game development and and uh, yeah, following all that kind of stuff. In terms of a title that I've followed from start to finish, I was trying to think if there are any that I've really religiously followed. I do it quite a lot with movies and stuff, um, but with gaming, I quite often just like I let the trailers come out and you know might. You know, stay up to date on the biggest stories because it's part of our job to do that. And I'll, you know, I'll read Kotaku or Push Square or whatever. But I, I honestly can't think of a game that I've like really looked into every tiny snippet of information that's come out before um, Beyond Good and Evil Two was announced. And whenever anything about that game comes out, I always digest it to the you know the nth degree and 
there are people who like break these things down on the internet and find like tiny 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 little easter eggs or little things in the background of concept art and all that kind of stuff so i'm really into all that with that game in particular but um i honestly i think before that i can't think of a game that i pretty much from its announcement to the day it was released have like truly followed religiously maybe the insane trilogy and uh reignited trilogy i suppose i did actually yeah i, I followed those quite closely but um mm. yeah it's only only quite a recent thing for me to really uh yeah stick with the game from the moment it's announced and uh break down every every little snippet yeah what about you uh i agree with what you said at the start there about mm. how uh it wasn't an interest in a particular game that got me into following the industry that I, th- I feel like has been has been discussed on this podcast before and so right. on so you can you can go back and listen to that it's probably one of the early episodes to be honest mm. um but in terms of a game that i that i definitely followed through all of its development very very keenly was skyrim right because i was a huge oblivion fan yeah so when skyrim was announced i i damn near lost my mind and mm. I remember that that sort of I don't remember how long it was now. Maybe it was sort of half an hourish demo that they put out around. Maybe it was E three, or maybe it was just at some random time. But it suddenly was was just available online, and it was Todd Howard. I think after you escape from the dungeon, yeah, or the cave system post dragon, uh, just wandering down the hill to Riverwood. It's Riverwood, Riverwood isn't yeah. it? The first town. And yeah. and I remember just watching that and just being absolutely blown away. Like he went into a river and caught a fish or something. Mm. And he was talking about the Radiant Quest. And I was like, yeah, that sounds brilliant. Can't wait to do those forever. <laughs> um, and I remember just being absolutely blown away by what he was showing off. Like this is this is like this is like Oblivion 2. <laughs> this yeah. is amazing. This is every advancement I could possibly want. And I even downloaded that video saved it to my ps3's hard drive and i used to show it to my friends when they when they were around like hey watch this wow what do you think of this and so i tend not to do it with games anymore and i haven't for a while just because once i've seen the announcement trailer i might watch a couple of other trailers but i don't need to read every dev blog or watch every dev vlog yeah um i don't need to even watch every trailer or keep up to date with every update beyond you know it's been delayed or whatever uh, just because I don't need to, I don't feel the urge to know everything about a game anymore, and I haven't felt that way for a while. I, you know, there's an element of going in blind that's really nice. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah. Skyrim was certainly one that I I followed very very keenly from start to finish. Like I just I could not consume enough information about that game. Really? Yeah. Mm. I see. I didn't. I remember when the announcement came out and again like for me as well it, it completely blew my mind and i was so excited first there was just that um mi- like little teaser i think where they showed the stone like figures kind of coming to life and like the fire the the, the dragon like breathing fire and that was it i think that was like the initial thing and then they showed the one you know the proper one with the, all the shots of like dungeons and caves and like deer walking through forests and the river flowing and stuff like that and yeah that really was just i i still probably think that was one of the best trailers i've ever seen like for the time mm. you know if i compare that to how i felt about other trailers at different periods of 
like gaming history. That was well up there. The music as well really just adds to it, doesn't it? But um, yeah. After after that and the that thirty minute video you're talking about, which I did watch as well. Yeah, I I just then sort of got excited, but but let it just let it come to me. You know, I didn't uh, <laughs> I didn't go looking for stuff, but um, I can understand why you did for yeah. sure. It was a uh, it was very, very good. Anticipated, highly anticipated game. I still remember the cardinal sin that that that, that trailer that you're talking about committed, mm. which was the incorrect uh, sort of presentation of Fusrodar. Because everyone, you know, in the trailer he goes, Fusrodar in time Fus with the Rodar. music. And then in yeah. the game, it's nothing like that. It's Fusrodar. Yeah, rubbish. <laughs> I wish it was like it was in the ge- in the, in the trailer. Because yeah, <laughs> that true. sounded so much cooler. In it game, did, it was yeah. like... He was really straining to let out a, a fart, you know. Yeah. Fus. When, when you first when you first learn it, it's just fus. Yeah. You just run around saying fus when foos. you first learn. Just causing a foos. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, that game, I yeah, I've spoken about it a lot. I played it so much when it came out, and now I yeah. can't play it anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm banned. Todd banned me. Sad. Sad. Well, um, you know, it would be it would be kind of strange if in real life, like Todd banned you from Skyrim, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. That would be a strange thing. It probably would never have happened before. I don't think Todd's ever banned anyone from Skyrim, so it would be like yeah. a new thing that had happened. Yeah, it would be, be like a strange, perhaps really a weird bizarre, new, a weird news, weird news, weird news. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together jd power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store and now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's weird news time. Time for some weird video game news. Peter, what have you got this week? Uh, I've got some Mass Effect weird news. So the non-weird Mass Effect news this week is, of course, that Mass Effect Legendary Edition has been announced. Um, I'm actually quite excited for this because I've never played the Mass Effect games before. I'm pretty convinced that I will actually really, really like them. And this is just the easiest way for me to 
play them, you know, to, to get them all and play them together in, in one neat little package. I know, obviously, if I, I really went out of my way, I could do that now already. Not in one package, but I could I could play them if I uh, mm-hmm. put the effort in. But so very exciting, and I'm looking forward to it and giving it a go. However, news here. Um, this is according to Kotaku by Ari Notice. Uh, hopefully mm. I've said that right. Um Mass Effect DLC missing from remaster due to corrupted source code. Um, so Say this, that again. Mass Effect DLC missing from remaster due to corrupted source code. Oh no! Yeah. So uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, as as advertised, comes with quote I believe quote unquote all DLC. But as we're yeah. about to find out, it's almost all DLC. Um, and uh, yeah, this is so. This is it's not the the weirdest thing that's ever happened, but it's certainly unusual. I've never heard of this actually really happening before. So here we go. On May the fourteenth, Mass Effect Legendary Edition will bring four K versions of the original Mass Effect trilogy plus most of its downloadable content to PS4, Xbox One, and PC. However, one single player expansion is notably absent: the first game's Pinnacle Station. According to an interview with Game Informer, the original source code was corrupted. Pinnacle Station marks an odd moment in the trilogy. Rather than a narrative-driven expansion like the third game's uh, venerable Citadel DLC, Pinnacle focused more on gameplay, serving up a dozen timed combat missions, wave battles, and other general tasks. It, It gave a taste of Mass Effect multiplayer without the multiplayer. Um... The Pinnacle Station expansion was not developed by Bioware, like much of the franchise, but by the Boston-based Demiurge Studios. You're going to have to help me there. Are you aware of Demiurge? How are you spelling it? D-E-M-I-U-R-G-E, all one word. Like Demiurge or something? Demiurge, yeah. Demiurge. Demiurge, yeah. Not entirely sure. In developing Legendary Edition, Bioware and EA hit up Demiurge for the original Pinnacle Station files, but much of the data was corrupted. This meant Bioware would need to recreate Pinnacle Station if it were going to make it onto the Legendary Edition. Instead, though, the DLC was left on the table. Got a quote here. It would basically take us another full six months just to do this with most of the team we've got, Mac Walters, game director on Legendary Edition, told Game Informer. I wish we could do it. Honestly, just because this is meant to be everything that the team ever created brought together again. All the single-player content... Oh, that's a full stop. All the single-player content. (laughs) And so, leaving it on the cutting room floor, it was heartbreaking. So, there you go. It's going to be some missing DLC from an upcoming remaster of almost everything because it's just been corrupted somewhere and there's apparently no backup. That's sad. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it was the most exciting DLC. No. To be fair, I'd be I'd be more annoyed if it was a piece of story DLC that was gone, but uh... Oh sure, it's no huge loss, but uh definitely it's not it, you know, it's not something you hear every day, I don't think. No, that it's corrupted. Mm. The files are corrupted. I'm very much looking forward to this 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 remaster trilogy. Yeah. Uh I've been waiting for them to release this for so long. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's been rumored forever and I loved Mass Effect 2 and 3 and I never played Mass Effect 1. Mm. Because it wasn't out on on PlayStation for the longest time. It came out after Mass Effect 3 did. So by that point I just, you know, never got around to it. So I'm looking forward to playing it. 
I love the DLC in Mass Effect 2, didn't play any of the DLC in Mass Effect 3, and I know there's some good stuff in there, so... Man, Absolutely. It's going to be good. And uh, actually, that's it's news to me as I was reading this article. I didn't realize that... I just sort of assumed it was also going to be available on uh, the latest generation of consoles, but seemingly just uh, PS4, Xbox One, and uh, PC at no. the moment. They've been working on it for, what, like six years or something absurd like yeah. that? It, it's, ugh, I don't know. I'd like it, I understand why it's not on the next gen, but I'm assuming it'll just it'll run better on them anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, anyway, there we are. Finally, it's coming. It is, and uh, looking forward to it. Yes. Got some weird news there, Ben? I have, yeah. This is from PC Gamer and Molly Taylor. Okay, thank you, And uh, this follows on from the sort of the Game Stonks situation that we mm. talked briefly about last week, which has since taken a bit of a dive yes, uh, in terms of has. value. So there's a whole new twist there. You can look online and see what's going on. But this is from, let's see, this would have been Tuesday. This right. was posted. Okay. Tuesday the 2nd. Hollywood's already bought the rights for a GameStop slash Reddit film. Oh my god, what? (laughs) Yeah. Reddit versus Wall Street, the movie. It was inevitable that this would happen. The GameStop slash Reddit stock saga (laughs) is now on its way to becoming a movie. Right. Yeah. Peter, it was inevitable. What? How how is this going to be a a movie? I don't understand how this could be thrilling viewing. I think it's it's an interesting story, but I don't... I just don't get how it translates into a film. But I could be wrong. It might prove me wrong. Well, well, we'll see, I suppose. Can't wait for, you know, something, something 69, all those usernames <laughs> yeah. to be featured prominently in it. It's going to be great. According to Deadline, film studio MGM has bought the rights to a book proposal written by Ben Mesrich called The Antisocial Network. Uh. If that sounds awfully familiar, Mesrich was the pen behind the acci- behind Accidental Billionaires, the founding of Facebook, A Tale of Sex, Money, Genius and Betrayal. That's the title of the book, by the way. Wow. Which is really long. It read like a series of books, but it wasn't. Which was adapted in the far less wordy movie, The Social Network. Right. Despite the Redditor versus Wall Street beef only <clears throat> excuse me, only breaking into public consciousness over the last couple of weeks, Mesrich apparently already had his proposal on the market by the end of last week, with MGM snapping up the movie rights on Friday. Deadline also says it's heard that Netflix is talking about making a GameStop stock movie too. <laughs> if you somehow manage to miss the entire thing, blah, 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 gives a recap of what's going mm-hmm. on. While the whole ordeal has died down somewhat, it's far from over. You can check out what happened at this link I won't read, along with some helpful tweets that explain how the stock market and short squeezes work. So there we go. This whole weird, weird thing could potentially be two films. Two whole films. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it translating. I d- Who would you cast as... <laughs> Dildo Swaggin 69. Uh, probably um, uh, Elijah Wood. There is a striking sort of visual similarity between those two people. Yeah. That's a good casting choice. Mm-hmm. I would cast um, Gary Oldman as Wall Street. Yeah. Mr. Street. Right. It's like Walt Disney, right? Is it Walt Street? Yeah, I think so. Walt, St- Walt Street. Yeah. Mm. Uh, who who do you think should play Reddit? Um, Christina Hendricks. Okay, 
Yeah, like is it, it Hendrix or Hendrick? Uh, it's not Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy Hendrix should play Reddit. Christi- hang on, I've got the Christina Hen. No, it is Hendrix. I thought I was just doing like a go play on your Game Boys kind of thing. You know, right. are you yeah. having fun on the Playstations? Mm-hmm. But yeah. no, I was correct. It's fine. It's Hendrix. It's like, is that right? I don't know. I don't know films well enough. Mm-hmm. I think they should get. Um, they should. They should like do a, a CG dead actor mm. to, to to play just someone in it. You know, I don't. I don't even know who. Just Alan just, Rickman. Yeah. Get Alan Rickman in uh, just to play like one of the Reddit users, just to you know, just for a bit of controversy. Like, hang on, you mm. could have used any actor whatsoever, but you chose to to tarnish yes. the the <laughs> beloved image of the late. Uh, I nearly said Rick Allen. Then I don't know who that is, but oh, who is that guy? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, Alan it's Rickman. Gonna, it's going to be a big hit. Yeah, I want him to just stand in the back of a scene. I don't even want him to say anything. No, I want him to stand in the back of a scene prominently, mm. and and I want the the sort of the camera focus to shift to him at just at one point where he gives a big, big thumbs up, and people are like, is that is, is that, that Alan Rickman? That Alan and then Rickman you don't see him back. again. What is it? What's Alan it. Rickman doing there in the back? You only see him for a few seconds, but that's Alan Rickman in in the Game Stonk film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Incredible. It's going to be a big hit. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Well, I would. Oh God, it'd be fascinating to watch. I mean, to be fair, I've not seen the Social Network. So as much as I say, like, how can you do a, a film about like a website? Mm. Basically, I, I've not seen the Social Network, and some people really like that. So uh, I could be, I could be totally wrong, and it might be. Oh, sorry, they might be brilliant. Both of these films. Both of these films. Although the Social Network was was built or or based on the. The, the somewhat true story of a man and some twins. I haven't seen it. And true, uh, founding it's about real the biggest people. website in the world. Whereas this is some naughty boys on Reddit. Faceless Reddit boys and took faceless billions from Wall Street. Stonk but boys, yeah. Now it's going back the other way. So I don't know what's the st- what's the st- is there a story here? I don't know. We'll and see. How does it end? It's just like they have this like small moment of victory and then like, oh, Look, it's going down in value it's now because people are starting to, to sell. Now, yeah, and okay, nothing changed. Yeah. The end. And that was it. Yeah. Great. What an uplifting tale. Thanks. Yeah. MGM and Netflix. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's. You got a question there? Yeah, it's from Tanner. Tanner says, "Hello, gentlemen or gentlewomen. I wanted to start off by saying you're all lovely boys and great at what you do." We're all lovely boys, all two of us. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But I also wanted a quick shout out uh, to your writing and editing teams. They have been crushing it lately, and I wanted to make sure they know that the walrus clan loves them too. Yeah, we Uh, say this a lot. Please don't just write the clan. We know what you mean. Other people do not know what you mean. No. You've got to say the whole thing. The The walrus walrus clan. clan. Do we have to change it? The question just says the clan. Walrus club? Yeah. Uh, So, uh, question time. Borderlands developer Gearbox has been purchased by THQ Nordic's daddy company, Embracer. In the last two years, there's been a gaming arms race by these large companies to purchase all of the medium to small developers and to stock up their uh, portfolio. What is your impressions of these developments? Sorry, I'm really struggling here. What are your impressions of these developments? Is this the future of gaming? 
uh, for big companies owning everything. Will this drown out the indie scene, or will it empower smaller developers to fill the ever-widening gaps in gaming? Thank you, Tanner. Thank you, Tanner. Um, we've got a we've got a snippet here from Kotaku. I don't know if you want to read it, Ben. It's actually got my name down to read it, but yeah. I've just read that question out. So I'll give it a read. Gearbox Studios' development of games like Borderlands and also publishers of stuff like the new Homeworld titles has been brought bought sorry by Embracer Group, the same Swedish company that owns THQ Nordic and Koch slash Coke Media. I'm really not sure which one it is. I've always said Koch, but now you've made me question my entire life. Um, Me too. I always said Koch, and then I heard one guy say Coke, and he's the only guy I've heard say it, so I don't know. Uh, The acquisition makes Gearbox the company's seventh video game holding alongside other companies like DECA and Sabre Interactive. The purchase includes plans to expand Gearbox's operations, adding new studios and staff to create new brands and go looking for more properties to buy. That was from Kotaku, that Mm. right up there. Uh, So, yeah, this this is happening a lot more. Obviously, Microsoft bought... Or, or pledged to buy Bethesda slash Zenimax Media last year. Uh, I believe that is due for a vote uh, in in the... I can't remember what it what it's called specifically. Some European body is voting on it. Right. Governmental body mm-hmm. uh, is voting on approving that very soon, if not this week, actually. You know, I don't see why it won't go through. But it does worry me a bit. I don't want four companies to make all the games yeah. you know and in that sense yes it probably will empower indies to you know to 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 make stuff that doesn't fit these big corporate molds that's not to say that every game coming out of these four you know we're obviously uh being we're we're, we're being a bit hyperbolic but you know these these four companies are going to make the exact same games but if if anything that EA or Ubisoft is doing is to go by then you know we can expect sort of similar outputs potentially across a lot of these studios as they're unified um i think that's sort of the the doom and gloom doomsday look at it and i would like to think it won't be like that but surely for the avoidance of any doubt i would personally hope that maybe there's some sort of regulations uh that 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 stop this from happening you know, some some, uh, some kind of regulatory board mm. or whatever um, that perhaps shoots this stuff down and stops these companies from getting quite so massive. But you know what? If Disney can do it, why can't everyone else? Yeah, well, so this is kind of what I said for my answer, though. Like, I think that, I mean, f- uh, firstly, I agree that um, I, indie indie development will never go away, of course. And if anything, I do think that in that sort of dystopian world of four companies out owning everything that probably would empower indies to uh yeah as you say sort of try and break the mold and do their own things and not just put out one of the four styles of game that exists now again Mm -hmm. hyperbolic but yeah um however yeah thinking about disney that in some ways that it it makes me um see the uh the slightly less terrifying side of this in that you know, as much as you can look at, say, Ubisoft and say, well, all Ubisoft games are very similar or all EA games have a lot of similarities that we don't like. You, you look at something like Disney and although they own everything as well, like these these companies may well end up doing, um, you still get lots of very good Marvel content coming out with a very much a Marvel feel to it you get lots of star wars content coming out with its own star wars feel 
you know, done in its own way. Pixar are still doing Pixar as they always have done and doing a great job of it. I suspect National Geographic continue to put out excellent National Geographic stuff. So it's it partly, I think, comes down to whether whether these studios are acquired, but they they're not then dissolved and their assets and IP and staff are absorbed just into, you know, um, the company as a whole. If they if they still get to keep their identity as, for example, Gearbox or, you know, Visceral, rest in mm-hmm. peace, then I'd like to think that with that, you also would allow them to kind of keep their own IP, keep their own... Um, just their own attitudes towards the industry um, in the same way that, you know, Sony, uh, well, not just Sony, of course, but Sony, for example, has a bunch of first party studios, but Naughty Dog still makes Naughty Dog games and um, Insomniac still makes Insomniac games. I know that's not the same as it's not quite the same arrangement in terms of like buying out a studio. Buying a in publisher. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But my point is that if you acquire a company in that sense, I guess you you can then make a decision as to whether uh, you essentially then just break it down into its constituent parts and absorb it like some sort of white blood cell um, or whether you allow it to still exist as it is. You just own it now and it carries on doing its own thing largely with some direction from from a publisher. Um yeah, I don't know. It it's it it could I think it could go it could go either way. You know, as I say, you look at Disney and I think they're doing it in some ways they're doing it right, even though they are a slightly terrifying monopoly now. Um Yeah. But uh yeah, the likes of maybe Ubisoft and EA are perhaps not doing it as, as right as I would like them to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of against the idea of monopolies becoming quite so massive anyway mm, because yeah. they, that just creates all sorts of issues in its own right but of course you know bethesda bethesda or at least speaking of bethesda and zenimax uh zenimax zenimax <laughs> christ uh microsoft has said that they do plan on just letting them get on with it and just yeah. doing their own thing and we will see if that's the case because i don't believe that for a second yeah. at least policy is definitely going to come down from microsoft whether or not they influence how the games are made is another issue, but certainly which platforms they're on, the the sort of the DLC and live service aspects, I imagine would would certainly come down from on high, um, and their inclusion in Game Pass and that sort of stuff as well. Uh, but there is, I do have concerns, you know. Still, the fact that Gearbox is being purchased in this particular instance as a as a Gearbox fan, as a fan of Borderlands. Yeah. I really, really loved Borderlands 3, but it definitely went in directions that I did not enjoy and that a lot of Borderlands fans did not enjoy. Far more of the... While it kick-started the looter-shooter sort of genre that Destiny went on to dominate, it seems now that because they sat out that whole period when Destiny was making all these changes that so many other games have now been influenced by and copied, when Borderlands has come back in... They've tried to adopt some of those approaches as well. I think to the game's detriment, and I think a lot of people would agree, a lot of live service stuff, a lot of focusing on character builds and like in-game challenges and events rather than the story content that people mm. loved about the original uh, two or three, I suppose, if you want to include the uh, the pre-sequel uh, Borderlands games. Um, and I am concerned that new 
new owners would potentially influence the direction of that series. They don't Gearbox don't publish uh, Borderlands though, and in fact, I did see an article earlier from from Push Square being reported by other places as well. Uh, 2K Games is the publisher of of Borderlands, and they've right. said that this will not influence their publishing relationship with Gearbox uh, vis-a-vis Borderlands. So maybe it will go unchanged, or maybe their new owners will potentially have some sway and Mm. microtransactions and live service elements are highly lucrative and the game will plunge even further into this sort of approach to to, to making Borderlands games. So I'm a little bit concerned. And it's THQ Nordic as well. I know it's not it's their parent company, but even so, it's incredible that that this this company just has so much money and they came out of nowhere, you know? Well, Outside the, the, of Tencent and Chinese investors, uh, this is sort of like that the one big anomaly in huge owners of of gaming companies and 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 entities in that they they've just sort of appeared from nowhere and they just seem to have bottomless pockets and they keep buying things. Well, yeah, but like the other worrying thing, I guess, is that THQ Nordic, again, we're talking about the parent company, really, but THQ Nordic keep acquiring IP and not doing anything with it. And presumably the parent company must have something, some input on that decision to not do stuff with with these uh, licenses that it owns. And you have to worry, you know, how long... They might continue to make, for example, Borderlands content uh, before. What if they suddenly just decide one day, hey, let's just stop doing this now? Like they seem to have done with things that they've purchased and not just. Dis- I'm, you know, it, it all comes down to demand. I'm, I'm sure, and you know, like people are probably always going to want Borderlands content. So hopefully, that's never going to happen. But it's just, it's a bit worrying, I guess, when um, something that you love as a gamer, as a as a consumer. Um, uh, that was made very lovingly by a developer or a, or a publisher. It was conceived years ago, and uh, they've continued to put out that content because they love it, love it so much, and because they came up with it. And this is their baby, you know. If suddenly that company is purchased by someone higher who now owns this IP, but might not feel as strongly about it in terms of, oh, this is our lovely little baby. You know how how long are its days numbered at that point? I'm not necessarily talking about Borderlands here now, but it, it's a bit scary, I guess, from that point of view with these companies acquiring stuff. That uh, once that uh, once a certain IP is suddenly owned by effectively someone else, it might not be as beloved by its owner anymore, and might not get the the time of day. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, to be fair to THQ Nordic, a lot of the stuff they've been buying, I think they are doing stuff with. Um, February of last year, there's a new story. THQ Nordic has 96 games in development. So that was well, a year they... ago. I think they are actively making games with these licenses they're buying, but... They're just not they... out yet. They're not out yet, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't <laughs> I don't know. Like Honestly, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, and I'm sure the future of selfishly the future of borderlands is bright and will be good and hopefully they will have learned and taken on board feedback from borderlands 3 from their core audience and what people do and don't want and maybe we'll get a more story focused borderlands game a borderlands 4 for example yeah or 
maybe this new acquisition does change things up and priorities do shift and 2K may still publish it and their their publishing relationship may not be affected and they still front the money, you know, for mm. Gearbox to make this game. Uh, but Gearbox's influences perhaps, you know, have have now changed and they are owned by a different company and they are told we need you to make this much money and so priorities shift in that sense and i don't know i hope it will be fine we will see but i suppose this is part of the problem when several massive companies own everything is that you just don't know what's going to happen it might be fine uh but i am i'm hoping i'm hoping that it is uh, I obviously also hope that this doesn't affect people's jobs and livelihoods uh, yeah, at course, Gearbox as well. I would again, I would like to think it doesn't, but you just don't know. So mm. we shall see. We shall. Wow, that got quite big. That that discussion there, didn't it? Did it? it got really big? You could almost have called it, perhaps a mm. uh, you know a a big big discussion. A big discussion. Big discussion time. Time for the big discussion. This big discussion comes courtesy of Callum's story, who says Google announced this week that they're shutting down the game development arm of Stadia, having never actually released a game. I think they might have released a couple of smaller games. I'm not entirely sure, though. While setting up their own studio may have been a good idea, where do you think it went wrong? And what does this mean for the future of Stadia as a platform now that they won't be developing first-party exclusive titles? I'll tell you who I feel sorry for immediately, Peter. People who bought Stadia. People who bought Stadia, and also the very talented, I think she was, maybe she was the creator of Assassin's Creed, who was brought in to run that studio, mm. never had a game released, and now she's gone. You yeah. Know, she she quite understandably has walked away. Let me have a look, uh, check who it is. What do you make of all this? Oh, it's just, I, can't, I honestly, I can't say I'm surprised. I think the only reason I thought that maybe, maybe Stadia will take off and, and make some interesting games and stuff is purely because it was a it's a Google company and therefore you'd think that they've got like a bottomless money pit. But I guess even if you have a bottomless money pit, if if a subdivision of your company is just hemorrh- he- hemorrhaging that money, I nearly did, wasn't able to say, uh, <laughs> there's no point keeping it, keeping it on. You know, I, I think Stadia ultimately... In terms of to answer the question, where did this go wrong? I just think that like Stadia is people just weren't ready for it. Both mm. in terms of mentality, and it wasn't ready as well. Sorry, what what was that? And and it wasn't ready. It was yeah, it, it wasn't well, exactly. finished. It didn't have all the things they promised. No, it like the the tech wasn't ready yet in terms of what they promised in their their spec and stuff and their their plan. Um, but people weren't ready, both in terms of like mentality. I think like just just the thought of like all your games being stored on the cloud. I'm sure some people are totally fine with that and just streaming games. Some people are probably there, there will definitely be people out there, maybe listening right now, who do that constantly now. Maybe they just play, they just do cloud gaming because it is available to people who want to do it right now. Uh, however, not just the the mentality, but like the technology on the user side. Um, you can have this like powerful stadia like hardware somewhere sitting in in a in a google building but if my internet connection is not good enough to play a stadia game without any uh latency i'm just not going to buy it you know i'm not going to pay for that and there are lots of people uh who are into video gaming 
they might have really liked the look of Stadia and liked the sound of it, and and uh, you know it promised some interesting um, new IP. I know some of it was just very sort of broad and non-specific, but there were things that they were talking about specifically as well. And all of that might have sounded very enticing to some people, but like they they could well have sat down and thought, well, it's all well and good, but I live out here on I'm still not on fiber optic here with my copper cable uh, village internet or you know i uh, i can't afford a decent speed can't play stadia that's just it. it it just immediately cuts you off from playing it so i just don't mm. think i think for various reasons the world the consumers and stadia itself were not ready for stadia yeah um, yeah yeah i i agree it wasn't ready it was a it was a great idea in yeah. principle but they didn't support it and well i mean they did support it but they just they launched it too soon you know mm. it wasn't it wasn't what was promised um you know the the games weren't really there they obviously had third party games but none of the exclusives that they were actively working on jade raymond was the name of the uh, right uh, the lead of that studio who has now left uh, and she was brought in from ubisoft to to work with that studio and yeah understandably she's walked off because it's it strikes me as kind of I mean we don't know the ins and outs but like certainly uh, just sort of looking broadly at the situation it seems sort of like a um, an Amy Hennig kind yeah, of deal exactly. it feels very where similar. she's been brought in to work on something she's worked on it and then they've just shut it all down and she's like right well okay I'm gonna go then I suppose what a waste of time feels a bit um, like um, Ninja going to um, what was that that uh, Edge. No, not mixer. Edge. That's the browser. Edge. Edge. What's mixer. The mixer. Mixer. Yeah. Edge. The other rubbish Microsoft thing that no one uses. Edge. Yeah. The winner uh, of the 2021 Royal Rumble. Mixer. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. Mixer. It's like Ninja going to Mixer and then leaving again because it. I have less sympathy for Ninja. Oh, sure. Like me too. <laughs> like I do not have the same sympathy for Ninja for Ninja yeah. and Amy Hennig. But um, it, it's, it's, it's that sort of deal. Thing. Like, yeah. hey, come over here. We'll give you all the money. Exactly. Okay, sure. This sounds like an exciting new challenge. Oh, actually, we're done. We've decided you can not go to. now. Yeah, thanks oh, for coming. Okay, thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. I think it was Stadia Games and Entertainment was the name of the studio. Uh, yeah, I feel really sorry for people. You know, early adopters. I, mm. I feel like it's sort of a slap in the face for them. They can still get third-party games on there. You know, they've said that the service will continue. Yeah. Uh, but some decent exclusives would have certainly sweetened the pot and attracted. But I don't know how you could attract people to this platform now, honestly. I don't know how you would. No, no. Um, I believe that they're, they're probably going to keep it around and build on the streaming functionality that they've that they've constructed because it clearly works. Um, and they have announced that they are open to sharing it with other companies now as well, mm-hmm. working yeah. with other parties and like sharing their secrets and probably letting them use the infrastructure and so on. So in that sense, I believe that Stadia at its core will survive. Yeah. But we may see it less and less in a consumer-facing position until that is quietly retired and they just make money off this streaming platform that they've made by selling it to companies, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I don't I don't know that it has much of a future. However, we know someone who has a stadia. We do. We know He's, a guy. We know a person who uh is is the face of all the other people we feel sorry for now who yes. as you say were early adopters. 
he has a name and it's Sam Driver mm-hmm. from Cultaholic. Uh, I think Adam, our boss, got one too, but I don't know that he's ever used it. Oh no. Well, I think maybe he got swept up in that hype and bought one, but I was just so not interested in this. Clearly not many other people were either. So, I've got a statement from Sam from the desk of Sam Driver Hot about the situation. Hmm. He said, "To be honest, it's mental. Stadia, while it may be the future of gaming, hasn't picked up anywhere near as much steam as Google were hoping for. Cyberpunk helped their effort, but I don't know. Stadia, since the absolutely terrible launch, has kind of moved into the realm of the Dreamcast in the sense that it was a fantastic idea, possibly years ahead of its time, but it was executed poorly and marketed very confusingly to begin with. Maybe they saw the cost of leasing a title as more attractive than commissioning exclusives, but their exclusives haven't really stood out to me personally this far anyway. It could be a cut-and-run situation. Either way, I think their future lies in building it into a Steam-like platform mm. that can run something as simple as your uh, run from something as simple as your phone without needing a PC link. I think by doubling down on that side of things and spending more money on third-party games, we may see an uptick in players. But the road ahead is long, dark, cobbled, uphill, and probably full of terrible PR and late to the party marketing. Quite the wordsmith, isn't he, Sam Driver? He is. Yeah, my goodness can't help but shake the feeling that their neck is already on Google's block and they're just trying to avoid the axe. But we do have Amazon Luna coming, so I don't think the battle for game streaming dominance has even kicked into gear yet. Mm. The only issue with both is that the consoles have a confusing target audience. They need to broaden their horizons, because right now I play Stadia when I can't be asked to drag an actual console or PC somewhere. It's an ancillary travel buddy, when it should be leading the way to a scary, non-physical gaming world. He surmises positive hat they're going they're going to go away freshen things up bring in all the major third party titles and some non console titles before relaunching a line of exclusives to battle against luna negative hat google are going to flip can it sell the tech to someone else and move on hope that works and isn't too long that's what <laughs> says yeah I, I mean the interesting thing is i think that like who is the target audience for Stadia? Whoever was the target audience, I'm not saying it didn't have one. I'm saying um, for the for the third party games that are available on console, for me and you, we would probably always just play it on console because I don't know about you, Ben, but I've never been too hung up on actual visual fidelity and performance as long as it does, you know. Even I'm happy with like 30 FPS in a video game. Like obviously, the more the better, and the the higher resolution, the better. But as long as it looks good and runs well, I'm happy to play it. So if there is a cons- a third party console game available on PS4 or PS5, but it's also available on PC or on Stadia, and I can have it run at like super super high end. Uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Set super high, super high settings. Mm. Um, I, I'm not that bothered. Like I just, I'm, I don't care. I'm not going to spend money on Stadia or spend money on a on a decent computer rig so that I can play it like really, you know, on 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 its ultra version. Mm-hmm. Um, so that immediately rules people like me out. I would say. I think the only thing that Stadia could then do to like pull someone like me in is have some interesting exclusives and now that's not going to happen so there's no selling point to stadia for me because any third party game that is available on uh on console and admittedly they might not all be some of them might be just pc exclusives um 
But, you know, a, a third-party game available on console, I'm always just going to play it on console because I don't care that much about how well uh, it looks as long as it's, you know, just good, like decent, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that was my... From the frame rate perspective, that was that was my thought until I've been playing on PS5. And right. then when you when you play something that isn't 60 frames per second, you really really notice it and uh i can i can get by and it's not a problem for me it's not not a deal breaker or anything but certainly i'd I'd say i care way more about it now than i used to just because i've Mm. been able to experience that and i never really experienced that reliably on the last generation of consoles uh because you know it was it was hit or miss whether or not games would actually support 60 frames per second um however that is not going to be the deciding factor of me getting Stadia and subscribing to that service. You know, I just, I feel like there there are so many think pieces about Stadia and like what went wrong and what they could have done differently. But I think it just goes to show, and it's still we should emphasize it's not Stadia is not going anywhere. No, it's yeah. just this development. It's just this development is sort of what a lot of us were expecting for a long time. Mm. Pretty much since they announced it, you know, things starting to close down and be shuttered and change and that sort of stuff. But it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how big of a company you are, if you don't have the games, you cannot launch a platform. Yeah. The only reason Epic Games, uh, the Epic Game Store is around is because they're able to get exclusivity of games on Steam. The only reason Microsoft was able to make headway in the industry was because they had Halo, Halo and several yeah. other excellent first-party titles so that they instantly established themselves as a name in games to be recognized, or at least consoles, I should say, because obviously PC gaming had been around for a long time. Um, but Stadia hasn't had that, and it doesn't matter how groundbreaking the technology is. If it's A, way ahead of its time, which it I think it is, B, wasn't as advertised, which it which it was, and C, doesn't have the games, why would anyone use it? Why would anyone be expected to use it and and pay for the privilege, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Microsoft, I would say, was almost the the Google of its time in terms of size of company. I know obviously Google was around then and doing very well, but I don't think you would necessarily at that time in history, I say history, it's not that long ago, uh, consider Google to be like the company back then. You know, Microsoft was probably up there as one of the, the biggest names and certainly very, very wealthy company. Um but they didn't. They didn't have it easy, like launching the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. I think they arguably were very fortunate to have the likes of Halo and a couple of other decent, uh, you know, exclusive games. But if if they'd not had Halo, I really, I wouldn't be surprised if um, they'd just not managed it. You know, the Xbox was great. Like I, I really enjoyed playing it. But it really, do, I think you're right. It absolutely comes down to. Um, to exclusives. Why should, why should I buy this console? Yeah, and, well, and for it, the games, it stand. It still, it still uh, stands today in that, like you know, Microsoft haven't. They haven't had it easy recently either, for the exactly the same reason. They just don't have, in our opinion, anyway, the same uh, quality of exclusives and first party titles as both Sony and Nintendo. You know, I mean, you know, pick your poison or whatever, but like uh, Microsoft. It's been an uphill struggle for them, and it, you're right that it, it it doesn't matter how much money you have, whether you are Microsoft uh, in the in the sort of early 21st century or 
Google Now. You mm-hmm. can't just throw money at a console or a, a platform and make it work if you don't have the games. And so we wait with bated breath to see what comes of Amazon Luna, mm. which is on its way. And who knows what that will offer. That probably stands a far better chance of, I wouldn't say flourishing, but I would say surviving, especially if they, if they bundle it into Prime or something like that, yeah. because that's already in the homes of millions of people. So that is a way for that to succeed. But if they launch Amazon Luna as its own standalone premium service, I don't know how popular that's going to be. Just as an aside as well, and this is just a quick point, how did Google not, or how did Stadia not get marketed as well as, like, Google owns, like, two of the biggest websites on the entire internet. Like, I guess there's a lot more intricacy to just can we shove our own product on here and advertise it? Like, there's probably mm-hmm. loads of internal red tape. You can't just go, right, we're going to do this now. Yeah. But you'd think that they would just splash that thing all over YouTube and, you know, like Google Ad Ad Words or whatever it's called, you know, the, the Google Ad service. You'd think they would do that. And in the same way, I would expect Amazon, once they, uh, you know, deem the time to be right, to be putting banner ads all over the front page of, of Amazon, uh, you know, the, the website itself mm-hmm. to really to really plug this thing. But um, you, you just think you would have seen more of Stadia around on the internet than I really feel like I actually did. Yeah, you would. It's almost like they lost faith in it almost immediately. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, if you Google Google Stadia, mm. it's the it says people also ask, is Google Stadia dead? How much will the Google Stadia cost? Is Google Stadia any good? And how do I get Google Stadia for free? Which isn't hugely encouraging. That's just Googling Google Stadia. The, yeah. you know, no, no keywords beyond that. And uh, yeah, I really don't know. They're selling their own product there, aren't they? It's great. I mean, there's an ad at the top that says, Welcome to Stadia. Click to play. And then top stories, Google Stadia closes in in-house game development. The writing's on the wall for Google Stadia. What Stadia's pivot tells us about the future of cloud gaming. Thing is, we'll have to see what Amazon does. We'll have to see how Google takes these next few steps and if they decide to just partner up with third parties or if they want to keep genuinely keep it alive as a platform that I'm assuming doesn't make them a lot of money. Um, yeah. And we'll also have to watch how... Um, Xbox proceeds with their cloud gaming and PlayStation proceeds with PlayStation Now. I think PlayStation Now is crap. I've always mm-hmm. thought that. I just yeah. don't understand the appeal of it at all. Um, but the difference being, the differences between that and Google Stadia is that that's not their whole thing. You know, yeah. PlayStation, you, you can, it's not like there's not a PlayStation 4 and 5. You, it's just PlayStation Now. Because if it was just PlayStation Now, it'd be terrible. You know? I just wish they'd release some of the games available on PlayStation now onto the PlayStation store. Cause some of them you can't, you can't, but there aren't like official purchasable versions that you can play on a PS4 and PS5. You have to run them on now. Yeah. And it's those it's, PS3 it, games, which yeah, sucks. It, it's a shame because you see some of these things on the store and you're like, Oh wow. I didn't know this was, Oh, hang on. Oh, no, it's Fallout just New Vegas. No, it's available no, on can't, now. Oh, can't do okay. that. Infamous two. No, can't be playing yeah. that. Or at least you can, you can stream it. Thing is, mm. though, with very quickly about PlayStation Now, is that a, a nice feature that they've done, and I know this isn't exclusive to PlayStation Now, but at the very least, with PS4 games on there, once you 
want to play them and you have a PS Now subscription, you can download them to the system as yeah. long as your thing is active. So you can just run it off the, the hardware and you don't have to stream it. But the PS3 games, you can't install to the system. You have no. to stream them. And the streaming is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that whole... I've never understood the appeal. I, I think it's so crap. I think Maybe they're is so wrong. Stadia should get into bed with PlayStation Now and just give them the, as you say, the infrastructure so it'll run better. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. That would be nice. But uh, yeah, there we go. That's Google Stadia. Another little mm. twist, little twimpst there. One of twimpst. our first podcasts, the, uh, the title was about Google Stadia. And is it the future of gaming? That was in mm. early 2019. Yeah. yeah and as, right. as I said... It's not dead as much as people are Googling it. It's just changing. Exactly. That's exactly it. Google Stadia seemingly isn't going anywhere yet, but this change is profound. Yeah. It's a big one. They're they're only going to be doing a Google podcast going forward. Oh, no. (laughs) Googliots. Yeah. Uh, Stadiots. So there we are. That's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for all your support over the last 100 episodes. Hope, hopefully next week I'll be able to speak without making as many mouth sounds, which you may not have heard, Peter, but my microphone certainly did um, right. because I'm sort of shifting my, my teeth around in my face as I talk to try and avoid chomping my cheek. Oh, it's okay. Uh, don't... So I can only apologise to people at home. I can't imagine that was particularly pleasant, but we'll see what the noise removal does in the edit yeah. process. Anyway, whatever. Peter, where can people find us? Team Triple Jump, that's where we are, everywhere you look. Our content goes out on youtube.com and twitch.tv forward slash Team Triple Jump. That's videos on YouTube and streams on both YouTube and Twitch. When we stream, we are modded by Lord Brotovich, Madstodactyl and Trowling Badger to keep the chat all happy and friendly. Uh, Speaking of Twitch, you can actually get a free Amazon, well, sort of free Amazon Prime... Sub? No, a free sub with your Amazon Prime that's subscription. That's it. It's a free Twitch sub within your Amazon Prime subscription. Um, so if you're already paying for Amazon Prime and you've not used your uh, your free Twitch sub, it's there available for you right now. You get all the normal benefits. We benefit from it financially, and it won't cost you anything extra on top of your ordinary Amazon Prime fee. Hmm. Uh, our social media is Twitter.com and Facebook.com forward slash Team Triple Jump. Luke Eldon looks after Facebook for us. Thank you, Luke. The Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Team Triple Jump, where there's lots of different rewards, including asking questions on this very podcast and exclusive access to one room in our on our Discord. Um, and you can get to that Discord by going to bit.ly forward slash Team Triple Jump. The Discord is modded by Jack and Joe. Thank you, Jack and Joe. Um, if you are watching this uh, podcast on youtube right now you can get it in audio form at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash triple jump and all the usual places as well the website is triple jmup that's triple mp um we've got a new shop though so don't be going to that lame old rubbish old one jmup forward slash shop don't do that one go to triple that will take you to our new shop with lots of new merch. Mm. Some of it is a sort of timed exclusive, or not timed exclusive, but uh, it's limited numbers. So you want to get in there while stocks last. Um, and remember also to follow at Triple Jump Shop on Twitter, where you'll be able to stay up to date on like new drops that are coming out in future and stuff. So that'll be the first place you hear about any of that. So if you want to stay up to date on new merch after the current uh, lot, then go and follow them. 
Uh, finally, uh, the live stream VODs are all at triplej.merp forward slash VODs. Uh, and uh, that will sort of send you to our YouTube channel for the VODs, where Pat is doing uh, weekly highlight videos as well. Pat Fenn, thank you very much. Wonderful. You can follow Peter on Instagram and Twitter at that Peter Austin and myself just on Twitter at confused underscore dude. We do lists every Tuesday and Thursday, streams every Monday, Thursday and Friday, Thursday being the joint stream, Blaze It on YouTube, Monday and Friday being solo streams on Twitch. Worst games ever is fortnightly Friday for patrons of a certain tier, Sunday for everyone else. The podcast is every Saturday and we do shows every other week or thereabouts. Thank you so much for listening Please leave a review on iTunes or your platform of choice. It helps something to do with Al Gore's rhythms. We do appreciate it. As Peter said, there's a brand new shop. Very exciting. There's all sorts of strange things on there. There's a couple of really cool shirt designs. There's a hoodie. Uh, You can get a a Billy Ray Walrus in the style of Metal Gear 1. uh, Metal Gear Solid, I should say, poster. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also get a floppy disk. Ooh. What's on the floppy disk? Can you even run it? Who knows? They are all available, as Peter said, in limited quantities, so please go to triplejumpshop.com right now to avoid missing out on these uh, these these items that are limited. We don't even have any of them. I, no, we don't, actually. I believe some of them aren't limited. Is that right? I think Possibly. A lot of them... Maybe some of the shirts are, but yeah, certainly the floppy the disks are limited. Oh, definitely. There's Very only limited. so many floppy disks in the world, full stop. Mm. So if you're interested in having a weird piece of Worst Games Ever memorabilia... Now's your time to do it. Yeah. It's pretty affordable, and it helps us. Thank you very much. Also, it's a Worst Games Ever week. That went out, as I said, on Friday for patrons of a certain tier, and it will be out for everybody else tomorrow on Sunday. It's a good one. It's a good episode. It is a good one, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So make sure you watch that. Also, we forgot to mention it last week because it was sort of a, uh, a last-minute decision, but there's a new ranked list on the channel all about Microsoft games. Of course, yeah, we didn't mention it because it, it was, yeah, last minute. But yeah, so that's that's also a good one, I would yeah. say. Go it's a shorter one, but uh, an interesting one. Every Microsoft franchise ranked from worst to best. We've done it with Nintendo, we've done it with PlayStation. Uh, the usual rule applies. As a franchise, to be counted on the list, the franchise has to, uh, has to have had at least three games in it. And given Microsoft's uh, lengthy history there's some interesting franchises on there yes so definitely go and go and give that a watch I suppose we'll have to do Sega we've done Sega haven't we no we no, did, we've done we, Sega did the, cons- we did the Sega Mega, Mega Drive slash Genesis That's mini it. games games yeah I knew we'd done our Sega one but uh, maybe Sega franchises next yeah I don't know. oh House of the Dead number one all the way yeah gotta be oh, nice yeah love that house. Love, love that wonky voice acting genuinely it's brilliant yeah Finally, Peter, it's time to talk about this sponsor one more time. Aha, mateys. All aboard the uh, the the zombie ship. It's time for Resident Evil Pillage. We're going to pillage. That's that's what we're going to do. We're going to pillage. It. We're going to yeah. do it. Thank you so much for listening slash watching, everybody. And I will... And and Peter, goodness me, I just went into auto, auto mode there. And we will see you again next time. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.